It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Hello and welcome back to a brand new episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. I hope that you're all doing well and thank you as always for being here. And in the midst of the F1 off season, you'd be forgiven for thinking that there wasn't a lot going on, but we have had quite the week. And in this episode, we are going to be discussing everything that has been going on in the news, including the rumours surrounding Charles Leclerc's new contract at Ferrari, the possibility of having a second Spanish Grand Prix or perhaps a new street circuit replacing the original one. And what on earth was going on between Toto Wolf, Susie Wolf and the FIA slash F1? We're going to get into all of that in this episode. But to join me to talk about that and more, we've got F1 journalist Sam Cooper joining us once again. Sam, first of all, how are you doing, mate? And how are you spending the off-season so far? Are you keeping busy? Yeah, well, yeah, the FIA keeping me busy. Yeah, no, we haven't had much of an off season yet. I think everyone's expecting a bit of a quiet, nice, nice downtime, bit of quiet time. But no, <laughs> pretty much the week after the race had finished, we had all that stuff. So yeah, it's been a busy one. But yeah, looking forward, looking forward to Christmas, having a bit of a break, and then obviously coming back. And it'll be here before you know it. We'll soon have car launches and then first race testing all that. So yeah, it's sort of a blink and you miss it kind of holiday. I mean, how dare they fire? They never think of poor, hard-working journalists like yourself, you know, know. constantly so going rude. from circuit to circuit just to report on our favourite, uh, you know, super, I, well, I was going to say hybrid turbocharged supercars, but uh, <laughs> yeah, that's about right. But uh, yeah, we're putting on all that all year round, travelling around the world, bringing all the news to us, and then just when you want to put your feet up, they drop mm-hmm. a few bombshells like that one. But uh, obviously you were quite busy. You were doing the Autosport Awards, mm-hmm. of course, for Planet F1. How was that? Yeah, yeah, it's a great experience. So it's the second time I've done it now. Um, yeah, it's it's always a manic one. I, I, I'm sure people are aware of like red carpets and how. I mean, if you ever seen a red carpet on TV, you know, see, see all those journalists party on and like. Yeah, it's very much grab who you can. So a lot of the there wasn't so many drivers there. In fact, I don't think there was any drivers off the top of my head. Any F1 drivers at least. Um, but yeah, a few of the team principals turned up. So the, yeah, Toto, Toto and Susie Wolf were there. Obviously, this was a few days before the FIA stuff came out. So. 
they were all fine really christian Hall was there so yeah like a lot of good chats really and it's turned into some nice videos some good stories as well so yeah that's that's not a bad one not a, for an, for an event that's essentially 40 minutes away from my house so i will take that <laughs> well, that's probably the shortest commute you'll probably have to make to a live mm-hmm. f1 event so uh no, good for you on that one. And of course, yeah, I, I saw plenty of those interviews and great pieces as well for Planet F1. So I'll make sure to leave the links in the description to anyone that hasn't seen those, where they can find those on social media and everywhere you need to go for that one. But, you know, great stuff. In a way, it's kind of a shame almost uh, to some degree, I suppose, and perhaps not too much that this news broke later than that event because uh, I imagine it would have been a very tense and interesting event with loads of journalists trying to get the latest scoop on what's going on from every perspective that you can imagine and it probably would have put a bit of a tarnish on an otherwise well-celebrated event which the Autosport Awards normally is. Yeah I think in a way it was nice to sort of give them a bit of time I mean I think if this came out I'd be highly well I can almost be sure that Toto and Susie Wolf wouldn't, wouldn't at least walk the red carpet they may not even go so it was nice that they had a day well, I mean, it's a bit different in Mercedes' perspective. Obviously, Susie Wolf's got all the F1 Academy stuff to to look back on. But yeah, at least this came out before before um, the FIA story did did the rounds. Absolutely, and of course, we should get into what exactly we're talking about because people are tuning into this podcast thinking, "What on earth are they on about?" Uh, so basically, last week, Sam news broke from the FIA on social media that they were aware of media speculation centered on the allegation of information of a confidential nature being passed to an F1 team principal from a member of FOM personnel. And the FIA compliance department is looking into this matter. Now, this was the FIA statement last week. And at the time, it completely took everyone by surprise. We had no idea, at least us mere mortal F1 fans at least, had no idea who this was referring to. We got an answer very, very quickly. The Mercedes team were very quick to respond in a joint statement with themselves, F1 and of course Susie Wolf. So straight away it was targeted at the Wolves. Toto and Susie Wolf. Toto, of course, being the F1 team principal for Mercedes, Susie Wolf being the managing director of the F1 Academy. Now, before we get into the details, Sam, how on earth did this story break? Because journalists like yourself and others within that particular circle, you would have been aware of this for a little while before it all broke. Um, could you sort of backtrack to let us know what had happened exactly or how this news broke? Yeah, I mean, it, it's actually the complete opposite to that. Um, Business F1 is the magazine that broke it. And I think everyone, anyone who's been in F1 for a while, so, I mean, it's hard to think of a nice way to say it, but like, no one believes what they say, really. They say a lot of outrageous stuff that sort of is very much crossing the line at times. Like, I mean, we go back to an example, they had... Um, it's a big story about how the W series should um, use their sexuality more to sell the series. And, it, and you've got to remember that a lot of the W series drivers were teenagers. So like, that's the sort of level we're dealing with. Like, I mean, it's sure it came out a few weeks ago and it's sort of no one really, no one of any credible note really took any interest in it. Like, like I said, these stories have come around a lot. Like, I mean, they seem to have something in particular for Susie Wolf. Like she gets on the, on the receiving end of a few of those reports quite often. And I think no one really thought much of it. And then, out of the blue, so well, depending on when this podcast comes out, if it's Tuesday, like it was Tuesday evening last week, where there was, I just a message went round to, um, so basically like the FIA, as do all the teams have like WhatsApp groups where they can easily send out messages to, to journalists, which is obviously very handy during a, a race weekend where you need to give quick updates, but sometimes use email as well, but that's beyond the point. So in this WhatsApp group is, um, yeah, message, yeah, basically just what you're saying there, saying they're looking into some allegations and, 
while the while the statement didn't implicitly say the wolves, like everyone everyone knew, like it's hard to think of another media report that fits that bill. Like it it's just a very odd way to do it when you're pretty much you're pretty much outing them, but not enough so that some our publication at least will have to be a bit careful about what we said, kind of thing. And then yeah, that's just sort of lit the fuse really, like kicked it off, and then um. I think Mercedes obviously said they were going to look into it, but I think you could tell from the tone for all three of those statements that they weren't very happy with the way this has been dealt with at all. And um, there's just a lot of conflicting information. So I had an FIA source tell me that it wasn't just based on that media report and that multiple team principals had complained. And then obviously I'm losing track of days here, but I think it was the day after we get all the nine of the F1 team saying that's not the case. None of us have complained. So Someone's lying, basically. Like someone's not telling the truth. I think Susie Wolf's statement first, like, was really strong. It showed just how, just how pissed off she was, really, at the whole situation, kind of thing. And um, yeah, so this this investigation lasted all of two days. And if it got, you got to Thursday, and they said they found no examples of breaches or anything like that. And yeah, it's just a mess, really, a mess of the FIA's own creation, really. Like they didn't need to do this. No one believed that story. And even if you did, even if you believe it's your job to look into these things, you should do it in a professional way and not announce it to the media. And I think maybe that's probably the bit that Mercedes are most annoyed about rather than the whole allegations about that. It's, it's the way they've been treated by essentially the referees of the sport. I mean, the FIA told me that they informed Mercedes at the same time as the message went out. And then I took that to Mercedes and they said, that's not true. They've never received a letter. And F1 said they received exactly the same wording as the media statement. So not exactly a letter either. So it's just the handling of it. I mean, like I said, no one really believed this story anyway, and they've just given it. They've put a load, like they essentially took an, an F1 car worth of fuel and dumped it on the fire, and it suddenly it's turned into a massive thing. And yeah, I, it's something that's in theory a little bit over now, but there's definitely going to be some more repercussions going down the line. And I think it leads into a wider thing that I think a lot of. I mean, there's, there's always been a power struggle between F1 itself and FIA, but. This year has really tested it. There's been a lot of incidents where the FIA haven't painted themselves in glory, especially from the president. And I think now teams are getting really annoyed. I, I think that's sort of why we have this legal case by Mercedes. I mean, they're within their rights to Like, they've absolutely suffered reputational damage kind of thing. But it's also probably just another way to say, we're sick of this. Stop doing this. Like, you need to act more professionally kind of thing. So, yeah, that was a very long-winded way to say what happened in essentially 48 or 72 hours. Like, it was a very mad few days kind of thing in the world of f1 it's a bit like the week between christmas and new year's if you can compare it where you have no idea what day it is everything's just going by in a blur and it's it's a very strange and interesting period that all that was last week it just literally flew by and then i think susie wolf put it best after we came to the conclusion of that from the fia's perspective she just responded so is that it then, mm-hmm. pretty much? And um, it did pretty much die off like a damp squib. Um, for the benefit of those of us that aren't aware of how the process works for a journalist to sort of ratify information and build a credible story from a source, how does that process work? Because clearly, from what we understand, perhaps that wasn't followed in this circumstance. And I have to stress, perhaps it wasn't, because I can't say if Business F1 did their due diligence or not. I'm not a mm-hmm. journalist. Yeah, I mean, if, if say if I was the author of that article and someone... Providing I haven't just made up a thin air, and someone suggested this, like the the natural thing to do is to go to F one, obviously who who are the people who sort of look after this area. It was their employee in, in theory, ask them stuff like that. But, but I think that's the problem. Like you've always got to verify your story. So even if someone tells you something in the paddock, like 
you're going to go to the people who know. They may say no comment. They may something, say something off the record just to give you as a journalist some bit of advice that that's not true, but we can't officially say that. So that's that's like 90% of these these stories kind of thing. You just sort of have to back it up with reliable sources. And that does tend to be, if you ever see journalists say sources say, that's that's likely someone from within the organisation they're talking about, but they obviously just can't name them kind of thing. So, yeah, that's sort of how you build any story, really. And I think the thing that's annoyed a lot of people about this magazine, because like I said, they've got a history of doing it, is that they just make up stuff and they don't verify it, they don't check it at all. And I think that's probably their audience. So they just want to make up random claims and it makes it more interesting. I mean, another example is this Brad Pitt film recently. There was a story that is going to be scrapped kind of thing. And like I think pretty much the day after the studio came out and said, that's complete rubbish. Like, we're not doing that. Why would we do that? So, yeah. I mean, it's it's a lesson for everyone, really, to sort of check where you're reading F1 stuff or any kind of news, really. Like, who are these people? Like, what's their recent history? What's their background? Like, why would they be saying these things? And just sort of questioning how true it was. I made this point um, elsewhere, and I said, what does Toto Wolf, who, let's not forget, is not only the team principal of Mercedes, but he owns a third of the team. Like, why would it be in his interest to share Mercedes secrets to F1? Like, what is that? Like, where? what does he get out of that? And the similar for Susie Wolf, like, what does she get out of sharing F1 Academy news with, with her husband and our team principal? Like, neither of them benefit from that. So, uh, yeah, just stuff like that where I, I would have hoped someone in the FIA to sort of question that, sort of question why would that happen, rather than just sort of taking this, like I said, rather flimsy report on face value and just running with it and making more of a mess than it needs to be. Yeah, and I mean, when we talk about conflicts of interest here, we see so many different people that work for our F1, from one team to another, all kinds of secrets and information are probably going to be dis- not necessarily shared, but because um, obviously you're not allowed to do that. Um, you know, certain little things are always going to be discussed in little detail. So where do you really draw the line in terms of finding your evidence for what exactly was shared, if anything was shared at all, or what was implied? It- it's so hard to really get down to the detail of it. And and you know, looking from a fan's perspective, when we saw this all come out, it really looked it looked absolutely crazy. The fact that everybody was completely taken aback by what on earth is going on. The FIA wouldn't go into the finer details over it. It did feel, from what was reported, that this did seem to be a very strange story that shouldn't be taken uh, to be anywhere near as credible as perhaps some people thought it might have been. And it certainly probably shouldn't have got the airtime that it did either. But we ended up in that position where the statement was made by the FAA. As you pointed out, Sam, Mercedes, um, Susie Wolf herself, obviously made big statements on this. F1 made their own statement. And then that was followed, of course, by all of the teams. Um, Every single one of them, uh, Ferrari, Red Bull, every single one of them coming out in a unified support. And I say unified because it was the exact same statement, word for word, uh, in agreement with F1, backing Susie and Total Wolf and saying to the FIA, look, this is not on. Um, we obviously weren't responsible for it either because FIA mentioned that they got information from teams or this source mentioned they got information from teams complaining to them. So, I mean, what did you make of that, Sam? Because for me, that definitely came across as a show of strength from F1, FOM and all of the teams bounding together to say, look, this is not on. We're not responsible for any of this information leaking out or this being true. We should stress that as well. Um, so, you know, don't throw the shade our way, FIA. Yeah, exactly. You're right. I think it's, I think this leads into the, the year we've had where a lot of teams have felt annoyed by the FIA. And there's sort of, there's that old phrase, and I can't remember, I might get it wrong, but it's like, I didn't, I didn't say anything when they came for blah, blah, and then there was no one left to say anything that came for me. So I think everyone's thinking, if we were in this boat, we'd want this to happen. It was really like a show of strength, like you said, 
the F1 teams are like, we're no, we're not having this. We're not, we're not having you investigate these random things. It's like, and we're not having you essentially throw our name under the bus by suggesting that one of at least two of us did it. So, yeah, you're right. I think it was a, just a, a show of support from from the paddock, and especially because it was involving someone like Susie Wolf, who's obviously not involved with any of the teams. Like, there was it's an outside figure, so they could always show a support for them. Like, it's going to be an easy decision. I think that was probably the nail in the coffin for any kind of hope from the FIA to rescue the situation that the teams came out and said, we're not, we're not happy with this basically, like stop doing it. Like, so yeah, I think that was a nice thing to see. I think, I think it was good that the F1 teams are able to, I mean, put aside their racing differences and sort of think about the sport in a more general sense and what's best for it. And I think that was a good statement made by all of them. And I think in addition to that as well, one thing that I can infer from all of the teams making a statement is that it puts the FIA in a position where everyone's looking at them now saying, well, look, you guys were saying that a couple of the teams made complaints. Name your source. Because it mm-hmm. makes absolutely no sense for a team to lie if they were the ones that uh, leaked this information or made the complaints to the FIA, only for them to say that, oh, we weren't responsible for it. The FIA could easily say, well, it was you guys. I don't know why you're telling us it weren't, mm-hmm. um, whichever team it was. So... I suppose in a way, I guess we've got to kind of take that for what it is really, Sam. The FIA perhaps having a bit of egg on their face, um, going on a source that obviously didn't do their research or whatever information they provided isn't sufficient because then the FIA straight away a few days later said that, well, we didn't find anything, so the investigation is closed. So, I mean, that must be damaging to the reputation of the FIA in a season that you've already mentioned where the FIA, and in particular the president, Mohammed Ben Salayam, has been involved in many uh, controversies where there's been many actions already that are really starting to upset F1 and the FOM and the teams as well. And he's certainly not helping his case with this latest saga. Mm, yeah, you're right. It's been a, a terrible year, really, like from going from questioning the F1's worth and stuff like that, and then all the and having to basically step back from F1. Like, yeah, he didn't need this. And I, I mean, there's a, there's a few. I don't know, it's it's not it's unlikely we're going to know exactly where it came from, but there's a few reports that it came from the president himself. So whatever reason he had behind that. But like I said, no one knows if that's entirely true. So yeah, like I said, it just wasn't needed. Like no one was going, no one was crying out for this. No one was saying, oh, this should be looked into kind of thing. Like if they were, then yeah, that's fine. But there wasn't, there wasn't any kind of like clamor for it from within the sport and the without. So it was, like I said before, it was an, a mess entirely of the FIA's own making and just absolutely no need for it. Like they could have been, had an app, they could have had a happy week, had their like prize gala on the Friday and that would have been fine. But instead they've, uh, chose to shoot themselves in the foot really and like you said egg on the face very much so because there's been so much conflicting information that, that someone's lying and like i'm sure eventually we'll find out just who that is yeah yeah hopefully we will in due course and, and mercedes have already come out and and total wolf in particular has come out and said that they're going to be you know following any sort of legal repercussions because as you rightly pointed out reputational damage was done not only to mercedes and toto but to susie, susie wolf as well and that will involve f1 and the fom so i'm sure this one won't be put in bed entirely, but at least in terms of the, the accusations. And, and we should stress, they were serious accusations. This wasn't like a, a jokey kind of thing where you say, oh, well, you know, we made a mistake, we messed up, we'll move on. There are obviously going to be some serious repercussions that will come later on, but I suppose we'll just have to wait and see how that transpires going forward throughout the winter break. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I think it's not something that's going to happen very quickly. I think we've sort of had our flurry of activity, so I think, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a few updates between now and whenever, whatever that stage that legal case is at, like there's not going to be a huge amount of updates until we know really. So yeah, 
I would be surprised if it goes on until the new year, but it's probably one in the, one in the background that's happening. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, as much as I'd like to talk about the FI prize giving gala, I mean, there was a few stories from that, but I think we'll leave that alone. I think one thing I'll end this on before we move on to the next story, uh, Mohammed Ben Salim, we, we've talked about him in the past. He's been involved in many sagas during his tenure yeah, as the FIA president. Despite the fact that he, as part of his pledges, he was urging for transparency and letting the FIA and F1 do what they needed to do. He's been very heavy handed, almost contradictory of those pledges. This is the latest of those right now, Sam. In your opinion, he's halfway through his tenure at the moment before another vote um, will be made to decide whether he stays on or is replaced. I almost feel right now that there's going to be so much opposition to keeping him in power within the FIA. Um, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think he's on thin ice, to be honest. I think if this isn't the last straw, then he's very much on his last life. He's had a, a terrible year, really. Like, it's stuff that's come out and the stuff that's been needlessly said and it does seem a bit like he wants to be the star of the show and there's always been a power struggle for F1 but I think this year in particular the FIA led by him obviously has sort of tried to wrestle back control of F1 on grounds that it doesn't really have like the commercial arm is owned by Liberty Media as we all know it's not there it's not the FIA sport and I think there's just been a real tussle by that and from the outside looking in it seems he'll do pretty much anything he thinks will win in favour with like fans and stuff. And I think that also leads into the Andretti stuff. I think that's, that's, that's no small part to why he's so behind that bid because he knows that fans want it, but F1 don't want it. So if they did get into the grid, it would be a, a win for him. I'd imagine he'd see that as. So yeah, I think I wouldn't, I, I mean, there was a one point where I thought this might be his last, this, this last mistake and the teams want him out, but for now, it seems like he's weathered this storm. But yeah, I think one more, and that's got to be it. There's already enough annoyance. He's done enough. He's only been there since the end of 2021. So it's not like he's been there for 10 years or whatever. But he's been very disruptive since. Like, having forced to be taken away from the F1 scene. And, and yet he still continues to make more mistakes. So yeah, I'd love to know this, the true thoughts of the team principles and stuff like that. But yeah, I think he's on very thin ice is probably the best way to describe it. Yeah, very much so. I'd imagine with all the Andretti stuff still looming that perhaps there's going to be more energy invested in trying to get that one over the line to try and uh, stay in favour of at least the fan base. But uh, that's going to be a hard sell. And I'm pretty sure uh, Michael Andretti will not be appreciative of obviously everything that went down and obviously what's attributed to that one. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Uh, But let's move along to the next story. And it's quite an interesting one coming out of Italy's Gazzetta dello Sport. Uh, They reported 
last week that Charles Leclerc had agreed a new five-year contract with Ferrari until 2029. Now, salaries are being reported at around uh, 50 million euros, which is not bad for some, Charles. Well done. (laughs) Um, But there were some potential exit clauses based on performance after the first three years of that, which would take him up to the end of 2027. So first things first, Sam, of course, we haven't had any confirmation from Ferrari or Charles Leclerc yet. And whilst, as we've already mentioned, that you have to take some reports of a pinch of salt until we get more credible information from the source, Gazetta de Sport, particularly when they report on Ferrari internal matters, tend to be on the money with these things. So first things first, if that news does come to pass, what are your thoughts? Are you surprised about the length of the contract or do you think it makes sense from both parties to extend this long? Um, good question. Um, yeah, that would be the longest contract on the grid, wouldn't it? Because Verstappen goes to 28. Um, I, I think it makes sense. I mean, if you look at his options, where else is he going to go? Like, there's not an obvious spot for him. I think Red Bull are pretty much, well, next year, obviously, there's no spot for him. But it's when his contract ends, I think Red Bull are going to push hard for Norris. I think they sort of see him as a better driver than Charlotte and Charles is like a tricky age, isn't he? Because he's only a month either younger or older than Verstappen. Like, he's not got the age. I know he's not an old man. He's 26 or whatever. But he's in that area where there's a lot of them in that in that sort of that bracket. And I think where's, if he's, he's going to go to Mercedes, like, would Mercedes want to upset Russell? Like, is he going to be the lead driver there? And then, yeah, you get to Ferrari. Like, they're probably the third or fourth best team with McLaren at the moment. And that's I, I can't see Leclerc moving to McLaren, at least. So... That's probably his best option. He's often talked about how much he loves Ferrari and clearly that he's got a big pull to it. And I think that's that's nothing to to ignore when we talk about where he could go. I think that's a real a real big thing for him is he wants to win with Ferrari, which is a loyalty, loyalty we don't really see on the grid. I think a lot of other drivers, they may have been with their teams for a while, but they've had a lot of success at that time. Like Leclerc has been there through, I'd say, thick and thin, but it's been a lot of bad times, more than more than good, really. So... I can understand why he did it. Yes, I may be a bit surprised. It's still 2029. 20, so my very bad maths is trying to work out. It'd be, it'd be 32, I believe, when that ends. So, yeah, that's probably his last big, big contract in F1. And he probably thinks he's going to win world titles by, the, by then. So, like you said, if there is a performance clause, that's clearly him not wanting to get too tied down in this. But I, I would be interested to know exactly what those clauses are. Like, if he doesn't win the championship, is he allowed to leave? So, yeah, it makes sense. He's always wanted to stay with Ferrari. I think it, he's he's the lead driver there, regardless of how, how good Carlos Sainz is. And, um, yeah, I think it makes sense for both parties. Like, look, Ferrari aren't going to get someone better. Like, we really can't overstate, like, the differences between being in that motorsport bubble in the UK and not being in it. Like, a lot of drivers all, ha- like, have houses in London or whatever. Like, they can easily go to the factories and they're all within five miles of each other, whatever it is. Whereas in... Italy are completely separate and yes it's a Ferrari but that kind of thing like they don't have such a huge pool especially where they've been the last few years so I think it makes sense for both parties like you said it's a handsome contract I think that's probably the second most valuable on the grid I think the staff is slightly ahead of that but yeah I can see why he's done it and I guess it just we'll have to wait until 2029 to see if it was a good decision yeah absolutely and you know, people say that you can't buy loyalty. Well, Ferrari certainly had a very good go at it. But, but speaking of loyalty, that's probably a big part of why Charles Leclerc, it, it, again, if this is true, has decided to extend his contract by such a uh, a distance. Obviously, he signed a very similar deal 
uh, quite a few years back, which was the longest contract any Ferrari driver had ever signed. Schumacher had never signed a contract that long. And it shows how important Charles Leclerc is to Ferrari. And I suppose in a way, Sam, whilst that loyalty still exists with Charles Leclerc, he obviously feels that he still owes Ferrari a great debt because of the fact that they brought him into Formula One. They, you know, they put him through the program and he shined there and Ferrari helped him achieve his dream. And there's a huge love affair with Ferrari. And I suppose it's, it's one of those things that you see with other drivers in the past. We saw it with Schumacher. We saw it with Vettel, for example, uh, and, and many other Ferrari drivers of the past. There is some level of romanticism around succeeding with Ferrari that perhaps you don't really get with any other team in F1, which I'm sure plays a part as to why Charles Leclerc wants to stay. What I'm interested in, though, is that three-year exit clause based on performance because we don't often associate these kind of clauses with Ferrari. It's pretty much you sign the deal that we offer you, otherwise you won't be driving for Ferrari. And usually for them in the past, that's normally been good enough. But Charles Leclerc's in a very interesting position. As you rightly pointed out, right now, there isn't really a realistic option for him to go anywhere. Even in a year or two's time when his current contract is expiring, he's probably still not in that position. But by 2027, or at least the end of it, will be two years into a new rule cycle. He will have so much data on who is good and who isn't. And assuming he keeps up a similar level of performance, or as we'd hope he'd be even better then than he is right now, he will be in a very strong position if Ferrari are not able to honour the clause or performance clauses that they would have set. Yeah, exactly. I think he's got a lot of sway in the team, obviously, because they. I think Ferrari recognise he's probably the best they can get. I mean, no one's... No one's desperate to go to Ferrari right now, are they? Despite it being Ferrari, and yeah, you're right about that that pool that Ferrari have. I mean, there's no other team that's got Adam Driver starring in a movie about them in a few weeks, have they? Like, oh, that alone Ferrari... is enough to keep it going, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of parts <laughs> come with being a Ferrari driver, but yeah, I sort of understand. Like, it's good timing from him. Like you said, 2026, new regs coming out. Sort of, he'll get to see how they are in that era, and obviously them being their own power unit supplier is a big thing as well. Like they're going to have a direct input impact on that. And he can sort of see how it comes from inside and not have an external factor that he's worried about. But yeah, it's, I think it's quite a smart contract. I mean, I think Leclerc's come out the better of it than Ferrari. Cause like you said, they're not ones to hand out these clauses, but he probably had all the cards in his hand and he was saying, I'm going to leave if you don't do this. So yeah, it's fair enough. That's probably the only way you got him to sign new contracts. And like you said, just good timing, like you get to, get to see the new regs, get to have like a year or two driving in them and see which teams, like you said, are, are good and sort of what's, hap- what's happened on the grid by then, who's where, like what seats are free kind of thing. So a rare bit of smart work from Ferrari, like it's not something we've said all that often to sort of keep their driver. And yeah, you, like you said, basically accept something they haven't really done in the past and sort of say, okay, we'll give you that if you stay kind of thing. Absolutely. And again, if the contract terms from what's been reported are true and he has agreed this kind of deal, given the circumstance where he finds himself in right now, where there isn't really a realistic better option out there for him, despite his incredible talent and and value in the sport, he's done very, very well out of this. And I'm sure Ferrari will feel the same way because they've secured one of the best drivers in Formula One with room to improve and grow. I don't think anyone's convinced that Leclerc is the finished article yet. And that could result in a world championship or two. And I'm sure that would be a happy result for both parties in this. Um, An interesting point as well we should make on Carlos Sainz's future. He also is reported to be in contract talks with Ferrari. Ferrari a bit reluctant to offer him a longer term deal. Sainz himself wants at least a two year deal, maybe even longer than that. 
But Sainz's situation is a little bit different because there's a very good balance in that team with Ferrari right now with Leclerc and Sainz. They complement each other's styles quite nicely. It's a good, strong lineup that Ferrari would obviously want to continue onwards. But there is that allure from both sides. From the Ferrari perspective, you've got Lando Norris and a few other drivers like that, Oscar Piastri maybe as well, that Ferrari might be keeping tabs on to try and jump in that seat alongside Leclerc if he doesn't work out with Sainz. But then from Sainz's perspective, you've also got options like Red Bull, maybe McLaren if Norris left, of course, maybe Audi as well, or even Aston Martin, for example. So it's an interesting dynamic for both parties here, Sam. In my opinion, I think they should just sign a medium-term deal and get it over the line. Both parties happy, keep going for the next few years, keep that good dynamic going. But what are your thoughts? Would it make sense for Ferrari to be bold and perhaps keep their eyes open on other drivers? And uh, and likewise, if you call us signs, would it make more sense to keep an eye on what's going on in other teams? Yeah, it could do. Yeah, Sainz is obviously a little bit older than Leclerc. And I think I think a lot of people would accept he's at maybe a few, not a few levels, they're quite close together in terms of ability. But I think everyone would give Leclerc the edge over, over Sainz. I think most people see Leclerc as a potential world champion. I'm not entirely sure Sainz is that level, even though he was obviously the only driver who wasn't in Red Bull cars to win a race this year. Yeah, in in the opposite of what we said about Leclerc, like Ferrari are probably just trying to keep their options open. Like if we think around the grid, obviously Lando's contract ends at the end of end of twenty five, so like they might maybe keep an eye out on that and kind of thing. I mean, to me, like two year does seem like a good deal. Like currently, you can't see any driver who's going to be out of this out, out of contract next year who who could be better for them. Obviously. You've got people like Fernando Alonso who's got their contract out, but I don't think he'd go back to Ferrari kind of thing. So I can understand keeping... I mean, speaking of Alonso, this is a lesson that Alpine themselves learned when you bit, you're a bit hesitant and you end up losing out on your driver. Like Ferrari could be in this situation where they're trying to keep stringing signs along and then suddenly he, he jumps it to like an Audi or someone like that. So maybe it, it does make sense just to get both people down for two years. I mean, Sainz has been really, really good since he moved to Ferrari. Obviously, outscored Leclerc in his first year. He's been fairly competent throughout. Like they, they both drivers had had their issues, but it's not like Leclerc is absolutely destroying signs, season in, season out kind of thing. So I think it makes sense to, and I can I can imagine that's what will ultimately happen is just give him a two year deal, and then that will take us to the end of twenty five, and obviously the new regs coming in. And like you said, there's been there's been a lot of reports of him sort of on Audi's radar. So whether that that comes to pass, we'll see. But yeah, for the time being at least, I think a, a two year deal seems smart for both parties there. Yeah, I do too. And I hope it happens. But um, yeah, Carlos is in a strong position as well. You know, as we've already pointed out there that, you know, he will be the allure of some midfield teams or even a new team like Audi who are looking to make that next step forward. And they need to back someone to be their number one driver. Carlos Sainz will be that guy. And then, of course, we've got some of the other bigger teams alongside Ferrari, Mercedes, Red Bull, that will be looking at a potential driver to fill a gap where there may be one over the next couple of years. Sainz would be a great addition to those teams as well. So interesting dynamic there i think we've we've already established i think ferrari the best move would be for both parties to continue onwards but uh that's what formula one's all about you never quite know and things can change just like that but we'll have to wait and see if that all comes to pass uh final thing to talk about before we sign off for this one sam rumors have been going around about the future of the spanish grand prix now as far as i'm aware and you might have to fact check me if i'm wrong here that's why we've got the uh the journalist on the expert on the pod um 
as far as I'm aware, Barcelona are currently trying to renegotiate their contract with F1. I know they're signed up, I think, until 2026. Um, so for the next couple of years in, in this current rule cycle, there's been rumours going around that F1 are starting to look towards uh, another street circuit in Madrid. Now, we had the F1 exhibition in Madrid not too long ago. It was quite famous because that showed an exhibit of Roman Grosjean's car that was famously on fire and melted down at the Bahrain Grand Prix a few years back, thankfully survived that incident. Um, but obviously it had alluded to the idea of there being a race in Madrid. Now, as I said, I'm not going to quote the source because there's a few different people doing the round. I don't want to misquote uh, the sources that I've heard because they are quite reputable sources. And I know some people on social media take them out of context or reword them, put that handle on there and expect it to be credible. Well, I'm not going to do that. But the sources that I have seen... Um, have stated that Madrid had won a deal to host the Spanish Grand Prix from 2026 onwards and put out an outlier for what the circuit is going to look like, uh, a street circuit, so to speak. They said the race will take place on a semi-permanent circuit around the IFEMA Convention Centre close to Barajas Airport, and it's a 10-year deal as well. So, Sam, first things first, um, not to put you on the spot as a journalist here, but have you heard about these rumours? Are, are Madrid potentially close to having a race on the F1 calendar? Um, yeah, I can't say explicitly. Like, this another one where someone's told me something. Um, I think, yeah, it, there's no secret that F1's interested in Madrid race, and I think that report, I forget now, there was a Spanish newspaper that came out last week and said it, and I think that's that's quite credible. Obviously, being in Spain, they'll have contacts there. Um I think the way it's looking likely is there's going to be a, a bit of a crossover period. So, like you said, Barcelona has a has a deal until the end of 2026, but I think they want to get Madrid on for 26. So, I wouldn't be surprised if we had two Spanish races in a year. And I think I forget his name. There was a, a Spanish um, guy who works for the FIA who was talking about this. He said it, it wouldn't be surprised to have two races in Spain. Because obviously, we have that in other countries. We've got three in the US this year. We've got two in Italy most years. Um, so, yeah, I could see that being a situation. But I think ultimately the long-term goal is to move to Madrid as a permanent base. I think Barcelona is not a track that everyone loves kind of thing. I think it's just been it's just been used a lot, hasn't it? We've had it as pre-season testing for so many years before Bahrain took over. And I think it's just sort of had its time, really. I think it was 1991 off the top of my head is the first time the F1 raced there. And I think it was just hoping for a bit of change. As we know, like this, this current regime of, of, of F1 loves a street circuit they love a, a a picturesque circuit in the middle of a town somewhere and the outskirts of barcelona probably weren't the most picturesque in the world and i think there was also a lot of trouble i've never i've never actually been to that race personally but i've, I've heard a lot of local trouble stuff like that and it's not been the safest kind of race but i can see why they want to move to madrid and i think that proposed uh venue it makes a lot of sense obviously going past stuff like Real madrid's training center and stuff like that that that's probably that probably look quite cool to people who want uh typically madrid kind of thing but it'd be interesting to see what the circuit's like i think a lot of people have compared it to um albert park of melbourne so not so it's still a street circuit but sort of that in between half and half between the natural circuit and the street circuit kind of thing but yeah i think there's there's just oh like i said there's no smoke without fire like there's just been a lot of talk about this and a lot of the reports say exactly the same information like if they're all saying wildly different stuff you'd be like okay i don't know what's true here but the fact that they're all saying like 2026. They're all saying this is where it's going to take place. It's making a lot of sense. I could easily see that, that happening. And I think we are expecting sort of official announcements sort of anytime soon, really. I mean, that initial report I mentioned from that, I'm really, I, meant, I forgot what Spanish newspaper is, but it's one of the big ones. Um, 
they said it might be this week that it comes. So yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if it comes soon. And like like I said, I think they're going to have a weird crossover year. Where we've got two races, and that's potentially up to twenty five races in a single season. So that's obviously another thing. And then I think the idea is eventually to transition to full time Madrid. And I think the fact that Madrid that exhibition is in Madrid, I think you could sort of probably take that as a hint that everyone's quite keen to to, to get to get a race on there because. That would work great for them, wouldn't it, if they had their own exhibit to try and direct people to and there's a race on at the same time. Well, it's kind of a scaled-down version of what they've pretty much achieved with Vegas, for example, in that regard. And the response to this particular rumour has not necessarily been a positive one. I think a lot of people have been annoyed about this. Um, I don't necessarily think it's come from the fact that people want to see Barcelona remain on the calendar because, as we've already talked about, they've had a history of trying to change the circuit to make it more exciting and if anything they've gone the other way and it, it's built and notoriously known for being a test circuit and we don't even do testing there anymore it's all going to be in Bahrain now and which makes much more sense given the calendar needs and everything else uh, and obviously the weather's much better at that time of the year in that area compared to what it is in Barcelona I think most people's frustrations are the fact that it's another street circuit or in this case semi-permanent circuit in your opinion Sam does F1 really need more street circuits? No, I don't think so. I think Verstappen said it well when he said that F1 circuits, traditionally ones, get the best out of F1 cars. Like, yes, it looks good on the, on TV and stuff like that, but after a few laps, that gets a bit old and you want cars to look, look um, to, to perform better than they look kind of thing. I think if it's closer to Australia, then that's fine. Like that's that's obviously a, a circuit that is in the middle of a park. It's not a, it's not a proper racetrack kind of thing but um that's one that does produce good races and exciting races if it's nearer to that that then that's good but if it's like the miamis of the world where it's not the most exciting races and it's in a middle of a car park kind of thing then we'll see obviously it's quite it's quite way out of the traditional madrid city center it's, it's up by the like i said up by real madrid's training training ground so that sort of gives you a hint of it's not in the middle of town kind of thing but yeah I think we just have to wait and see, really. Like, I think a lot of people have had opinions of Vegas and maybe they changed a little bit when the race happened itself. But I think I'd be a bit more optimistic about a circuit like that where it's half and half, as I mentioned, rather than just another street circuit kind of thing. So, yeah. But overall, I don't think Formula 1 needs more street circuits. We've got we've got plenty, thank you. No, I agree. I, I mean, there was a time where we only had one or two street circuits and Monaco, mm-hmm. and then basically they used to say Albert Park was like a street circuit. But then we're in the same vicinity as what Madrid are proposing here, and now we have street circuits all over the place. We have mm-hmm. our own sort of mini series of street races <laughs> to justify who's the king of the streets in F1, um, which we all know was Max Verstappen, but hey ho. <laughs> but <laughs> as is everything else at the moment in F1 uh, in Max's favour. Um, but of course, you know, Sam, as always, thanks for coming on the show. Um, guys, you can check out sam on his socials at uh, sam cooper underscore and of course you can check out his work for planet f1 uh, planet underscore f1 on twitter on social media and of course go to planetf1.com for more great articles and work from the team there but until next time guys we are gonna uh, well say take a little bit of a mini break i mean we have been sort of on and off for a while we are going through a change of format so i hope you don't mind and appreciate that in in the meantime but of course, we will be back very, very soon. We haven't forgot about the predictions reaction episode. That is coming. That is definitely coming. So don't worry, guys. We will be back for that one. But until next time, guys, please do stay safe and take care. We'll see you in the next episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. And remember, as always, if you're not first, you're probably DNF1.
Social Podcast Network.